I know that Father's Day, <clears throat> the pastor is supposed to find some great father in Scripture and preach about that and then maybe kind of beat up on the dads in the house a bit. But I want to talk for a few minutes about the best father. And I want to say that this sermon is not just to me, as most all my sermons are. This message is not even just for the dads in the house today. This message is for everyone here because I want to talk for just a few minutes about our Heavenly Father. How many are thankful that you have a Heavenly Father? I am very sensitive to the fact that there are plenty of people in the room today who struggle with the concept of a Heavenly Father because your experience with your earthly father was less than good. I was privileged to have a wonderful father. You've heard me talk about him often, and a great man as, as a father-in-law. Um, no matter what your experience was or is with your earthly father, I want you to just listen to me for just a few moments this morning because I want to present to you a heavenly father who loves you with a love beyond what you can possibly comprehend. Whatever you have chosen to believe about your heavenly father, Whatever your earthly father has represented to you, I want you to know that you have a heavenly father who loves you with a love you can't even imagine today and who has an incredible plan for your life. How many are glad about it today? Well-known pastor and prolific author A.W. Tozer said this, the most important thing that a person is is not their race, the color of their skin, their status in life, nor their education, or where they grew up in life. The most important thing a person is, is not how they look. The most important thing about a person, and that which will have the greatest impact and effect on their life, and affect them at the deepest levels of their life, and change them forever, the most important thing is what a person thinks when he or she thinks about God, the Heavenly Father. And in this day and age that we live in, and I know I'm not the only one who encounters this, we have an ever-increasing number of ideas about uh, who God is, and if you ever turn on a television or you get on the internet or read anything, you see there's all kinds of ideas about who God is and who He is not. For some people, He is just a faceless, nameless light out there. You may work with people who talk like that, or, or just some sort of a, a force. There's nothing personal about him. They just, they just, he's just out there somewhere. And then there's other people who like to think of him as the, what I call the Siri God. Those of you with smartphones know that you just push a button and a voice comes up and helps you with all kinds of things. And for many people, they simply want God to be a button that they push at their challenging moments and, and hopefully He'll get you out of the mess that you're in. And then once that's over, you turn that button off and you go back to doing whatever you were doing before. How many know anybody that has a Siri God? You're not willing to admit it. Okay. Some people have the thought of a grandpa dad. A grandpa God. He has long white hair. He's kind of nice, a little slow, walks slowly. It's kind of past his time. He's just out there and he's kind of a sweet old man. That's how they think of God, like a grandpa God. And then there are people, I know lots of these, uh, who observe a scorekeeper God. He's a scorekeeper. 
that God is always checking to see how much good you've done as opposed to how much bad you've done. And, and, and many of you grew up where the only concept you had of God was a religion where everything was counted and, and put in either your good category or your bad category. And God was the master scorekeeper of it all. And your goal in life was just to be sure that you had barely enough more in your good column than you had in your bad column because before you stood before the scorekeeping God. There's another group of us here today that I happen to know who grew up with a stained glass and steeple God. These people believe that God is in church on Sunday morning from, 12, from 10 to 12. They, these people know how to do things in church, how to sing in church, what to say in church, how to act in church, how to do church things, but then they come out of church and they seem to leave God inside the building with the stained glass and the steeple. That's sort of the plan. He's the stained glass and steeple God. God did not change anything about their lives. He didn't change how they talked, how they, how they acted, how they thought, how they loved, how they forgave others. He didn't change anything because their God is left in the building. And then there are others who I, who I have observed who have what I call an eBay God. I understand that eBay is the place where you go, I haven't been there much myself, a place where you go to try to make a deal to get things you really want. Am I right? Is that what you do on eBay? You go and you make a deal. And we all know that there are those times in life when, um, when our, our desires exceed the norm. We got, you get a case of the, I got to have it, whatever it is, I, I got to have it. And you may decide, I really want this, or I really, really want that, or I really want her, I really want him. So God, if I do this, will you do that? That's the eBay God. Surely we can make a deal here somewhere. And I also understand that eBay is a place where you try to get rid of stuff that you don't want anymore. So that's why the eBay God works for some people. Maybe God will help me get rid of this in my life or, or that in my life. Uh, and it's a situation where one is trying to wheel and deal with God. That's the eBay God. And then we have what we call the PC God or the politically correct God. That's the God of, uh, that we see, if it's even mentioned at all, on the award shows or MTV shows. He's the, the God of, of peace in fluffy white clouds. And he's like every other God, the PC God is. And they're all equal, you know. Uh, he's kind of like a, a buffet God. You get a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little more of this, a little more of that. You take what you like. Make sure you don't judge anybody. And if it feels good, then it must be God uh, if you have a PC God. That's the politically correct God. But I want you to know right in the midst of all these voices, of all the people that you come in contact with in your life who try to convince you that, that, that the Bible's not necessary or the God of the Bible is not really the God they want. They want one of these other kinds of gods. And all the opinions that others have as, as what God should be, I want you to know this morning that our God is a Father. Jesus spoke many times of God, but he spoke the name Father 189 times in the New Testament. And when Jesus was asked, how do we approach Father God? How do we address him? How do we talk to him? How should we pray? Jesus did not say, when you pray, call him the omnipotent God, even though he is all power. 
Jesus did not answer those questions by saying, when you pray, call him the sovereign God, even though he is in control of all things. He didn't say, when you pray, call him the omniscient God, even though he does know all things. But he said, when you come to him, here's what you say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Church, today, the God that we have sung about this morning, everything we have done reminds us that our God is a loving Heavenly Father. Can you say amen to that? Jesus clearly gives this instruction because God is our Father and He wants to be a Father to you today. Let me remind you that the ministry of Jesus began with God identifying Himself as the Father. I don't know if you've ever thought of it quite this way. That's how the ministry of Jesus began. The first thing God identified himself was as as a father because he said, this is my beloved in whom I am. That's the first thing he said that that was audible, that, that could be heard. That's how God identified himself as a father. In Mark chapter one, right after the baptism of Jesus, this moment I'm speaking of right now by John, the Bible says that angels were ministering to Jesus, but wild beasts were all around him. In Mark chapter one, the spirit was leading him, but Satan was tempting him. The kingdom was near, But hell was also near. And in the midst of that, the voice of God spoke and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I happen to believe that I'm speaking for you as I'm speaking for myself when I say that every day you and I live in Mark chapter 1. We live with that same set of circumstances. For every day, the angels and all of heaven want to minister to you and to help you and to give you joy and to give you strength and what you need. But every day, you and I face the wild beasts of hell. Am I telling you the truth? And every day, you and I face temptations and the evil that is coming against us. Even when we believe that God is leading us and every day you and I know in our hearts that the kingdom is near and God is near to us and yet every day we seem to be aware and never forget that the very gates of hell can seem oh so close to us. And the Lord would say to you today, would say to us, Bethesda, you can't lay hold, you can't be what God wants you to be unless you are filled every day by the Spirit of God with the revelation that God is your Father. Can I get an amen to that? You're my son, he says. You're my daughter. I am your Father, and I find pleasure in you. So very often our minds are filled with the things that we do, the things we, that we know God does not approve of or want want for us or doesn't like or maybe even hates. But on this Father's Day, I'm praying, as I've prayed and and sought the Lord over this message today, I'm praying we each receive this revelation that God looks over your life this morning, not because of what you do or don't do, but simply because you're his son, simply because you're his daughter, and he finds pleasure in you. I know some of you struggle to even hear that. And you certainly don't believe it for yourself. But I'm here to announce unequivocally that God is a father and he finds pleasure in you because he is your 
Father. He says, my affection is on you. My plans are on you. My spirit is upon you. I love you. You are my son. You are my daughter. Now, I know full well that dads, fathers can sometimes be embarrassing. How many of you have ever been embarrassed by your dad? Raise your hand. Two of you, okay. Hmm. I'll skip this part. No, I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, I happen to remember the days. Becky and I occasionally did it deliberately, the whole embarrassing parent thing. I remember the days with uh, both our children when they were in middle school. Middle school is such a wonderful season of life, isn't it? <clears throat> I remember those days when our, each one was in middle school, and I would drive them to school, and I wonder if you've ever heard this. They, they would ask me uh, when Shader was and then Sheridan, about a block away, they'd say, Dad, just drop me off here. How many ever heard that? Just, just drop me off here. And I was just mystified by that. Well, and I would say, well, well, why? And their answer always was this lovely phrase, because someone might see you. <laughs> yes, what was going through my mind was, and the problem with that is, but I didn't want to ask because I was afraid they would tell me. <laughs> so when I picked them up that afternoon, if that was the story that morning, I tried to be sure I had on my spiffiest Bermuda shorts dark socks that came up to here, and squirrely sandals on my feet so that when I saw them, I could jump out of the car and yell something to them, hey, sonny boy, hey, that I knew would embarrass them, and they would just walk right on by, go right on past, right on past our car. I remember the time Becky threatened to show up. Now, this is Becky I'm talking about. She, she threatened to show up with her hair in rollers white cream all over her face and her duster or her, her robe on. That's how she was going to pick Sheridan up after school. And they were going to disown us as parents if that happened. So I doubt she ever did it, but I remember the day that she threatened. Dads can be embarrassing. Dads can be disappointing. Some of you here have had far, far, far worse situations and even some unspeakable ones. And I am sensitive to the fact because many of you have talked with me that and heard your story that you struggle with the concept of God as your father because of your earthly dad. But if that is the case for you, I have a statement. I would love for you to write it down, and I think it will help you because here's, here's what is the truth. God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of your earthly father. Would you like that again? God is not the reflection of your earthly father. God is the perfection of your earthly father. Every time I conduct a funeral and, and um, we go to the graveside um, and when I'm able to speak more privately with the family, and I've said this to some of you, I've always said to them, you know what, dad's gone now. So here's what I challenge you to do. Remember the precious memories and let the rest of it go. You can't do anything about it anyway. You want to carry it with you the rest of your days, make yourself miserable, but there's no point. And your dad can't do anything about it now. But there have to be some moments that were precious and tender and warm and wonderful. Remember that stuff and let the rest of it go. And the church said, because you know Matthew, Jesus said in Matthew, if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? No matter what you have experienced with an earthly father, 
There's a heavenly father that is perfect. You won't have to let anything go with him. Who is always there, who will never leave you, will never forsake you. There's a heavenly father who's passionate about you, who loves you just the way you are. There's a heavenly father, though, that though he never sleeps, he dreams every day about what he's prepared for you. There's a heavenly father who is all power and wants to give you the power you need to fulfill the dreams that he has for you. There's a heavenly father that when everyone else leaves you and forsakes you, and there will be those times in life when everyone else seems to turn their back on you, he still finds you valuable and worthwhile and precious and so very special, and he will stay with you whatever you go through. Let me give you just four revelations, four statements that could hopefully make a difference for you today, and then we'll be dismissed in a few minutes. First one is this. Your father loves you, and he has never not loved you. Please pardon the double negative. Your father loves you, and he has never not loved you. You have never lived one day not being loved by your heavenly father, just as he loved his son, Jesus. When you and I read where he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, you might say, well, well of course, that was Jesus. But let me remind you that Jesus prayed, Father, I pray for them, John 17, I pray for them that they may know that you have loved them even as you have loved me. Is it within your scope of thinking or the possibility of your mindset to realize that the Father who loved Jesus loves you just as much as he loved Jesus? We tend to accept or, or, or receive love based upon our performance to get good enough. And I'm not excusing sin. I'm not minimizing that which, which we should absolutely shun. But we tend to then say, feel like the Father only loves us based upon our performance. But I'm here to announce to you today, Father God loves you as much as he loves Jesus, according to John 17, 23. Well, this morning, allow the Holy Spirit to give you the revelation, for only the Spirit of God can give it to you. That as the Father loved Jesus... So does he love you. That's why John said, 1 John chapter 3, see how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Verse 2, dear friends, we are already God's children, but he's not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And here's what that says to us today. That means this morning that our minds cannot even comprehend all that will be. Those of you who are like me getting along further in life and you think the story's, you know, it is what it is and I pretty much got this figured out all the way. No, I want you to know that there could come a shift in your life that surprises you. There could be something that takes place God may have a divine appointment for you that is going to be a dynamic change in your life. Keep your minds open to what the Holy, how the Holy Spirit might lead you to a person or in a situation. You never know how God wants to bless you and, and your mind cannot even comprehend all that will be, all that can be when you walk every day in the revelation that God is your Father pastor friend of mine tell, tells a story of a man in his church that now goes into schools and prisons every week and he ministers the love of God 
This man had an incredible transformation, unbelievable transformation because of Christ. He used to be in the Haitian gangs, uh, and he had machine guns, and he had bullet holes in him everywhere, so this pastor friend of mine tells me, and this man lived a life of hatred, uh, and, and though it would be very difficult to believe that based upon how he is today, everything was hatred and, and vitriolic and, 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 and evil and wicked, and my pastor friend says this man's name is Emmanuel, and he says that today God gives him an amazing anointing. God brought that shift in his life. Now, this gentleman is only about 300 pounds of solid muscle, but he has a heart, of, heart as big as Texas that you, that you can't even believe because of the way he shares Jesus. But the story goes that Emmanuel's girlfriend came to the Lord after her mother, the girlfriend's mother, had come to faith in Christ and then led her daughter. And Julie was her name. Julie was living with Emmanuel, and she told my pastor friend that Emmanuel hated everybody, and he hated churches more than he hated everybody, anything else. And he had been abused as a child in church settings, and so he absolutely despised the church. And he would threaten his girlfriend, saying, if I ever see you go back into that church, I will kill you. And one Sunday morning, just before the service, she came to my pastor friend and said, okay, he, he, I, I don't know what to do, pastor, said he's been on crack all night, his, his, his anger and his rage is out of control, he, he's gone completely crazy, and, and I, don't know how to, I don't even know how to tell you this, but he's, he's coming to church this morning, he doesn't even care if he kills himself, but he plans to blow up the whole place. You need to call the cops and dismiss church, we cannot have church in this place today. My pastor friend says that, that, and he was very proud of himself. In that moment, he acted very pastoral in a calm voice. He says, no, Julie, don't, you, just don't worry about it. God is with us, and no weapon formed against us will prosper, and it's going to be fine. He's, God's going to protect us. And then he prayed with her for the campus that morning. He said, no, don't, don't worry, Julie. It's going to be fine. God bless you today. And, and he escorted her out the door, and as soon as she left, he shut the door. And as soon as the door shut, he said, oh, God, protect us today. Oh, God, cover us. And then he got all of his biggest, meanest elders to come and line the front of the church while he preached. And before he, the service, he called those elders and he said, now listen, I want to remind you, there is no greater love than for you to give your life for me. You understand that? <laughs> Emmanuel showed up for the service. And in that service, the pastor was, he just was simply sharing on the love of the Father. He forgot about the fact that that gentleman was going to be there. He just began sharing simply as I am with you how much the Father loves you and that the God who knows everything about you, secret places of your heart, things that you don't even share with your closest friend, maybe even your spouse, all of the, everything about you, he knows that and he still loves you and he has never not loved you. And Emmanuel came forward somehow by the Spirit of God. And can I just say, to remind all of you today, I don't care what hardened person you live with or know or are associated with or that's somehow in your life, the Spirit of God can go through any door. Nothing can stop the Spirit of God. Reach every mountaintop, search every valley low. There's no place you cannot go, Spirit of God. Don't ever, 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 ever give up on what the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit can do with the most vile person that you know or that you have to be in, in association with for whatever reason. God can turn that person around. But pastor, you don't know how long he's been that way, how long she's been like this. You know, it doesn't matter. It does not matter. I'm telling you, this is the year of, for us of a supernatural surprise. And I continue to believe for every one of us that God is going to do something that surprises you, that catches you off guard, 
blesses you in a way you never even dreamed he could do for you. How many want it? Emmanuel came forward, tears streaming down his face, and he gave his life to Christ. The Father embraced him, and his life has been forever changed. And I, that same message that was given that morning to Emmanuel is what I'm trying to give you this morning. Your Father loves you, and he has never not loved you. Not only that, but your Father loves you in spite of your sins. I'm not minimizing sin because we serve a holy God. But that's why we had the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin. But your father loves you in spite of your sins. You've heard me say this before. My dad was a pastor, a loving, 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 loving man. I was privileged. I know this isn't the story of everybody. I was privileged to be raised by a dad that I knew loved me no matter what. I could come in and say, Dad, I have, this is what I've done. This is where I've been. This is what I've done. And somehow my dad still, he wouldn't approve, he wouldn't like it, but he had the ability to still wrap his arms around me and say, but you're my son and I love you. And I want you to know that is a picture to me and always has been a picture to me of a loving heavenly father. When I mess up, and I'm perfectly capable of doing that on a regular basis, when things don't go right, don't go the way I planned, when I do things I didn't want to do, didn't plan to do, when I'm not what I wanted to be, when all of that happens, I know that I have a loving Heavenly Father who in spite of my situation, He can throw His arms around me and He still loves me. He still loves you. Your Father loves you in spite of your shortcomings and failures. Your Father is never ashamed to be called your Father. Your Father will always stand by you even in your worst moment. In fact, you know what Scripture says about how He responds to us? It says He rides across the heavens to get to you, to help you. He's so delighted in you today. He so loves you. He so created you uniquely, you with all the stuff that maybe you don't like. He made you uniquely, you, that when you call his name, he rides across the heavens to get to you, to help you. For the eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms of God. I grew up, as many of you did, in a legalistic environment where everything was wrong and everything was a sin. I've, I've got a witness here in the house. The church I grew up in, if you got too much pleasure out of chewing gum, you had to go repent for it. It was a sin. And it was very much a performance-based mentality that, that pervaded the culture of the church I grew up in. We were often barraged by preachers and evangelists and who told you that you needed to look up and be bright and, and, and change this and change that. And you're not doing this enough and you shouldn't be doing that and you're not praying enough. Nothing was ever enough and you need to be looking up. So always have your head up. And I, I can remember, as a, particularly as a teenager, when a few realities of life began to set in, and I remember sitting in church and wondered, so what happens when my head isn't up? What happens when my head's down? And what happens on those days when I kind of need to draw the shades? I think you know what I'm talking about. What happens when I can't look up? What happens when I've messed up? What happens when the things I did not want to do, I did, and the things I did want to do, I did not, and I failed again, and the things I did not want to be, I am still let me tell you what happens on that moment. And this is such a blessing to my soul. On the, in that moment, 
God rides on the wings of the wind, making the clouds his chariot, the Scripture says. This is not just my opinion. This is what the Scripture says. He rides on the wings of the wind, making the clouds his chariot just to get to you and to rescue you. That's what happens in those moments. And while your head is down, by the way, and if you look with your head down, open your eyes and you will see that underneath, are the everlasting arms of a Father God who loves you, who loves you with a love you can't even comprehend. And it just causes me to want to say to you today, oh, happy Father's Day. Your Father is committed to you, and He will never leave you. Contrary to what some of you may have experienced, He never runs away. He never says, I'm fed up with this, i got to split. He never says, enough of this. You're an embarrassment to me. No, no, no. God never says that. He never says, I can't believe you've, you would do this after everything I've done for you. And if, you're, if these words have ever been spoken over you, please hear the word of the Lord this morning. Because the word of the Lord to you is this. You're my son. You're my daughter. And nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can separate you from my love. In fact, if you look at Zephaniah 3.17, he says this. The Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all of your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful song. God sings over you, church. God sings over you. Al Reaver, are you the one who did a word study on delight from Zephaniah 3.17? I think your daughter told me you did something about God, what it means when God delights over you. You wanted to give us a sample of that this morning? When God delights over you, somebody be ready to catch him, okay? I think for far too many of us, for far too long, we have allowed our... Christianity become this heavy negative, I'm never going to get it right, and that's correct, neither will I. And so therefore, I need to be bowed down, and I need to be, you know, all of that. If there's sin, repent of it. But remember this, God delights over you. And on this Father's Day, what I'm trying so hard to communicate, doing so poorly, what I want you to hear this morning is that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you with a love beyond what you can comprehend. He delights over you. He's riding on the wings, the, the wings of the clouds to get to you, to delight over you. And with his love, he will calm all of your fears. He'll rejoice over you with joyful, song, with joyful songs. You may feel ever so insignificant and small this morning, but if the heavens could open and let us have a peek into the heavens this morning, we would even see God not only singing over you, we would see God shouting over you because that's what he does. It's my daughter. That's my son. Look at him. Have I told you about my son? I want you to know about my son. Have I told you about my daughter? Look at them. The very next verse in Zephaniah says, I will gather you who mourn for the appointed festivals. You will be disgraced no more. And I will deal severely with all those who have oppressed you. Goody, goody gumdrops. 
I will save the weak and helpless ones. I will bring together those who were chased away. I will give glory and fame to my former exiles wherever they have been mocked and shamed. Church, he's on your side. He's on your side. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me what? And he says, in my power, my power in you will allow you to conquer that which has formerly conquered you. Your father loves you. He's never not loved you. Your father loves you in spite of your sins and your failures. He's committed to you, and he'll never leave you. The last one is this. Your father loves you, and he has plans for your life. He has plans, and he is committed to help you fulfill his plans for your life in ways that are beyond anything you could ever imagine. Ephesians 2.10 has an interesting word that captured my attention this week. For we are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is poiema. Poiema. Can you say it with me? We are God's poiema. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you look at Jewish history, there was, a, there was this very sacred moment that took place where a father would take his son as just a baby. <laughs> I'm a little emotional about this. We've had our grandbaby all week long. She just left this morning. I had to say goodbye to her for a few days. But what would happen in Jewish history? Father would take his son just as a baby, and he would hold him, and he would declare a poema. He would say, my son, this is what I want you to become. This is what I know you can become. My son, this is what I dream for you. You parents know exactly what I'm talking about when you know what it is to even weep over dreaming what your child can become. When that baby was placed in your arms, mom, dad, boy, whether it was a boy or a girl, the day that child arrived, certain things happened. One of the things happened is God downloaded this thing, this parent thing within you. And within that download was this incredible desire for your child to thrive. And those of you who have raised children know this, that when your child is thriving, the world is good. Everything else is fine and really not much else matters when your child is thriving. Conversely, when your child is not thriving, it's like nothing's going well. That's just the way it is. But here's what I want you to know this morning. God has declared a poema. He's held you in his arms, and he's declared, he said, this is what I want you to become. This is what I dream that you can become. This is your poema. It's, it's a crafting. It's a creation. It's, it's God's workmanship for your child. And Paul tells us plainly that we are, you are God's poema. And he holds you this morning saying, you don't see it all. You may not see any of it. You are only able to see what's right in front of you right now. And that may only be for you the darkness and the, gra- the, the gravity and the seriousness of the situation you're in. But I want to say, I want you to know this morning that the Lord is saying to all of us that he has plans for you. You are his poema. You are his workmanship. And he has plans for your peace and to give you that which he has destined for your life that you may find hope, that you will find me, he says, if you seek me with all of your heart. 
Your heavenly Father wants to fill you with his spirit and to heal you. That you will know and walk in the conviction and faith that nothing is impossible as you walk with God. The Bible also tells us that hope does not lie. The love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Bible also says, behold, the Spirit of God brings witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. You will only embrace anything I'm telling you today by the power of the Spirit of God. When every other voice bombards you with negativity, when every other voice says something to the contrary, the Spirit of God will remind you that you are loved by God. And that's what I have prayed all week, that you will walk out of here today knowing this. The next time somebody tries to come against you and tries to say something that would put you down and that would be negative towards you, give negative, vile words against you, I hope that immediately something rises up within you that says, but I am God's poema. I am loved by God. I am his precious treasure and God loves me and so it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. There's a verse we find in Romans that I think is so precious and intimate. Musicians, if you want to come, I'm, I'm almost through. I've always loved this verse, and there's a song we used to sing here for years. Goes harkens way back to when Steve Fry used to bring a troop with him from San Jose, California, and taught us this song. This verse is in Romans chapter 8. It says, So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children so that now we call Him what? Abba, Father. He is our Abba, Father. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've been through, the Father has plans for you that are beyond your wildest imagination. He loves you. He's never not loved you. Father loves you in spite of your sins and your failures. He's committed to you. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. And he loves you and he has plans for your life. If you'll allow these four very, very simple principles to penetrate your spirit this morning, this can be the happiest, most freeing Father's Day you have ever experienced in your life. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment, please?